0: Hello Tisha. Hi Jen. How are you? I am good. I feel like I had a really quiet day today but I did I I go back and forth between being super productive around my house um, and then Mm -hmm. a day where I am focused more on like doing podcast work and working on my beauty counter business and that's more like sitting here doing the work and so I feel like I didn't do much today but when I sit and think about it it's like I actually did a lot but I am beat um you had a day though
1: I did I had a day um basically um we had our passports delivered today so they were approved hooray yay and um the mail carrier he handed me the, the package. He had, he had to, it's a signature required type thing. Um, they don't just leave the passwords in your mailbox. And for whatever reason, um, when he spoke, it like triggered me to like look right at him and like look him in the eye as opposed to like I was just really focused on the package. And um, for some reason, I just had this like jolt and this like feeling. And I was just like, Jesus Christ uh part of my language like I think it's my dad
0: that I mean and like my biological father
1: who I have not seen in more than 30 years and fact of the matter is wouldn't know if he was standing on my doorstep and um that just really sent me reeling and I am going to share a long version of all of this and all of the emotions and all the feelings and stuff that went with this and where I'm at with it now, um, in an episode on Patreon because it's
0: it was a day we literally just it recorded. We just recorded our very first like impromptu. We have to record this Patreon episode. Um, yes, which is ta- which is is timely because. Friday, so two days after this episode that you're listening to launches, um, we will be releasing our very first official Patreon episode, which is a conversation with Tisha and I, where mm-hmm. Tisha shares um, a, a story from her childhood. That yes. is another doozy that is definitely worth a listen. So I highly recommend you head on over to Patreon and Join so you can hear that and you can hear the follow-up to the potential postman dad situation because <laughs> um, it, yeah it's pretty crazy and then we have an episode now which is yeah. Saneha yes who Saneha she was so now. inspiring she's so inspiring I'm so excited to have you guys, listen to this episode. She's in India. We had her on our list of someone to book for a while because figuring out time differences and, and times that worked for the three of us was challenging, but I'm so glad that we did. She, Mm -hmm. um, she actually came to us through one of our early guests and, um, yeah, she just, it's a great story and it's funny like that, you know, Tisha you had a day that was kind of had you I think thinking about family and things like that Mm -hmm. and and her episode revolves a lot around family as well so it's all feels like it's all kind of like meshing together in a really I don't know fortuitous way but I hope you enjoy the episode we hope you enjoy the episode join us on patreon to hear a bit of Tisha's story and make sure to share it with your friends Hi, I'm Jan, and welcome back to Now What?
1: And I'm Tisha. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we're going to be joined by Sneha, who we've been wanting to record with for a while, but she is in India, so there's a bit of a time difference. So um, we're recording here at 10 a.m. What time is it where you are, Sneha? Uh 8.45 p.m. at night, yeah, so big time difference. Anyways, thank you so much for joining us. Sneha um, is the founder of Mind Matters, and she actually has two podcasts. Um, One is called Perspectives, and the other is called A Step Towards Health, correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. So, and Perspectives is, um, I think, sort of similar to this, where you have different guests come on and, and tell their stories and talk about mental health, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So, and um, I'm assuming obviously you got into that because you had your own story.
2: That is right. Um, So uh, firstly, thank you so much. Uh, I'm glad that we finally found a time that kind of worked for both of us. I really admire the kind of work that the two of you are doing. And I'm such an advocate for the concept of conversation in mental health, because it's such a huge part of making a difference in that sphere and like truly overcome that Taboo and that stigma and clearly that's kind of the foundation of perspectives as well so I really admire the work. I'm really (laughs) glad that y'all are doing this and thank you for having me. Yes, Yes.
0: thank you for being here. I did start
2: Mind Matters with my own story. Um, So I'm currently 23 and I am a final year law student um, and I will be pursuing human rights law. So my goal in life is to be an international human rights lawyer. So my academically, I don't really have any understanding of psychology or mental health or anything in this sphere, but I had my own experiences, which kind of went back to the age of 16. So I um, am the second child of two working parents, and I had an older brother who is eight years older than me. And because my parents were both working, um, my brother and I spent a lot of time together. And especially because of this big age gap. Along with being my brother, he was also kind of like a parental figure and a protector and all of that wrapped into one. I was 16 years old when he passed away. And I still remember the night. Um, It was, I I don't know what the translation is for y'all in your high school. So it was 10th grade for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have a graduation at 10th grade, which, uh, and it was on my graduation day. Um, I remember that 10 o'clock in the morning was when he was supposed to leave for my campus for the graduation ceremony. And the night before, we had um, an aunt and uncle come down from our hometown in Kerala. Uh, I'm based in Bangalore, Karnataka, so they were staying with us. And I remember um, because they were a bit older, my brother cleared out his room. I went to the guest room upstairs and he was working that time. and he had an odd schedule because he was handling an American client. So he's usually back home around 2 a.m. post his shift. But that day, he came back around 10 p.m. and he complained of a stomachache. And we didn't really think much of it. We just figured maybe it's food poisoning or he ate something wrong and figured he's just gonna sleep it off. And I remember we were all up till around 12, I think. Downstairs talking, and after that I was like, I'm gonna hit get some rest because graduation's tomorrow. And then I remember at two in the morning, waking up to my mom screaming out my brother's name. Um, I can't think much of it. I just ran upstairs, and I went upstairs and I saw my brother was unconscious on the bed, and my cousin was trying to do CPR and like restart his heart. We've been We've been calling the ambulance. Um, it was taking a while. And then finally, um, our front door neighbors ran in. They helped out as well, and their car was already parked on the road. So they carried my six-two brother downstairs, got him into the car, and they had rushed to the hospital. I stayed back with my mom, my dad, my cousin, and my neighbors went with my brother. And I remember just waiting and just, Waiting for the phone call, or and I, I don't know. I was, I had this. Uh, I was just hoping, at least, that when the phone rings, it was gonna be him on the other line, just saying, "Hi, got you." Because he was a, he was a nutcase of a person. He had the best personality, the best kind of vibe, the kind of energy that just was infectious. And I was really, really hoping it was like a cruel prank, or just for him to call up and say that I passed out because I didn't eat. But the phone call that we got around 4.30 in the morning was not the same. Um, my dad called up my uncle and said that by the time they got to the hospital, he was already brain dead. And because of the protocol, um, like your legal protocols, when a person is brought brain dead to a hospital, they have to conduct a post-mortem. And when they conducted the postmortem, is what we found out, that my brother passed of a heart attack and it was kind of insane to accept because he was 24 years old yeah was um, but further uh, looking into it is kind of what we found out it was something called deep vein thrombosis um, basically a blood clot in his ankle traveled up to his heart and caused that attack and till date i will be, I, I i'll be honest we still don't know what caused that blood clot um, a cousin of mine uh, is married to a cardiologist and he told us that something massive must have happened in the six months prior for him to have sustained such a blood clot that would have caused that. And I cannot for the love of God remember mm-hmm. if anything happened because I don't remember him even limping once in those six months. Mm-hmm. And I have played back time after time. And I don't know, that kind of began my journey with mental health because Um, I don't know how much you're aware of my culture in India or anything like that, but we're not really uh, a society that talks about these kind of things. Um, We didn't talk about grief or anything like that. Losing Sanjay wasn't the first time I had experienced death. I had lost two of my grandparents before. But in my understanding, like what I was always told is a person grows old, they've lived their entire life, and then they passed. So that loss never affected me as much in my head I just accepted okay they're 90 years old they've lived their entire life but after a certain point a person does pass. but that was my entire understanding of death and then I lost my brother when he was 24 years old and that kind of just shook everything like nothing about that made sense in no yeah. form no size shape but it doesn't and that kind of started yeah I'm still trying to process it to be honest but that kind of began how it, grief started affecting me and again no one talked about it i still haven't really had a conversation about it within the family as well because i don't know people just didn't talk about it so that grief um it really got messy um i kind of i i, I became very isolated and reclusive i didn't talk for a good couple of months to people uh at the most i would just respond to like yeah i'm alive that's it that's that's the extent of what my conversation used to be but I didn't feel like talking about anything, and I had massive exams a month after this, which was instrumental into deciding which school I'd get to. And it had always been like a very isolated space. Then it got bad, and it kept getting bad. And about three years into my journey of grief, I finally decided to get help because I reached a really messy point, and I took steps that now I. When I look back to it, I realized that it was that intense for me. And I had considered suicide because in my mind, the only person that mattered was my brother to me. And being in a place without him just didn't make sense. And all I wanted to do was, well, get back to him. And I was in this weird state. And I realized I really needed help. and I took steps. I I did attempt. it didn't work, really, because I'm still here. But mm-hmm. um, after that is when I realized that I needed to talk to someone about it. I needed help. Um, I have a few...
0: like, what, What? because, so you, you don't speak of grief, you know, and, and death. It just happens no, when you're we old. Don't. We... So, like, what happens after something like, like, how is something like a suicide attempt treated?
2: My family did not know about it until four years later. Okay. It was, it was actually a friend of mine from university who realized that this happened and they kind of, I, I do owe a lot to a couple of friends of mine in my circle because they're the only reasons why I did actually get help when I had to. And mm-hmm. I truly believe I'm here because of that. And when I decided to get help, I decided that I don't have a lot of people in the family that I feel like I can trust. Um, which is something, like, it's developed now. But at that point in time, it wasn't. But I did have one cousin that I was very close to, and I just I just broke down and I told her that all of this happened and I don't know what to do. And I decided to get help. But I couldn't tell people in my family, I couldn't tell my parents that I went to therapy. I went to therapy for three years before my parents found out. And it was, like, any extra cash that I had, I would just spend on... Um, this, I would, I used to, I freelance as a writer, anyone, I made, I would go into therapy. Sometimes my cousins would help out, but I did without having to try one. Every single time I went out, I would tell my parents that I'm with a friend and my friends would cover for me. But that's kind of the state of which it was. And was, was it, it because
0: there was shame? Was there like a stigma around it, a shame of it? Or you just, you oh, just yeah, didn't absolutely. feel comfortable? Okay.
2: Honestly, I think it was a bit of both because um, I think for a long time, I felt like a massive responsibility on my head that I can't bring up my brother's loss with my family, especially with my parents, because in my head, I felt like they're also grieving and
0: mm-hmm. I don't want
2: them to worry about me. But after a certain point, um, holding it on my own was too much and I broke. And I was really hoping that someone would have seen it, but I needed that support. But I. At the same time, even though I was, like, at the age of, like, 16, 17, I felt like it was my job to make sure that they were okay, because it's, it's a huge event, and it clearly affected mm-hmm. all of us, but yeah. I don't know. because they're grieving, in, too. In, mm-hmm. And they were grieving their firstborn, so I didn't, I can't even imagine what that would be like, but in our society, we've always had this kind of space where there is a lot of pressure on children to take care of their parents. Like Mm -hmm. it is kind of ingrained into us from a very young age. And I think that is just something that always stays with any decision I make. Even now, when I'm trying to decide things about education and like um, pursuing a master's degree, I think back to like, will my parents be okay if I move to a different country? Are they going to be able to manage? Is there something I need to do? Is it okay if I want to do this? So it's kind of, it's, it's become almost a reflex, but I finally did get help and even getting help was such a rocky road because I didn't know what to expect, where to go, what to understand, what, anything about it. So it was a very, it was a big trial and error kind of thing. But then I finally did find a therapist that I, it sat right with me. Um. So by the time I went to help was like three, four years in. So I was diagnosed with severe depression, anxiety, complicated grief, and PTSD. Because even four years after the incident, I was still physically affected by exactly what happened. So even now, <laughs> I still struggle with sleep. And the reason that I have such an odd sleep schedule and like why I'm quite nocturnal is because of during the time of like two to four a.m it's very difficult for me to be asleep because when I try also I tend to wake up in flashbacks like that night as a painting. so I just kind of stopped sleeping and since I was already awake I needed to keep busy so I just started walking through the night and that's kind of just how my um, routine developed and has kind of just stuck now but when I finally got to a place where I was a lot more comfortable with everything that happened which is only last year in 2020 when I actually felt like I'm in a better space because when I found the therapist that worked for me um I used to have very physical reactions to um in my episodes of like PTSD like I would end up punching a wall quite often and I have bruised and torn muscles in my uh fingers so much it's kind of surprising how they're still functioning even now but I, I had done the whole journaling and all of it, but it wasn't enough for me. I needed a more physical outlet. And my therapist was the one that suggested why I try something like combat sports. So I got into that. So I was in mixed martial arts for about three years. But that was a mis- almost a mistake on my part that I got so heavily dependent on only one coping mechanism that was working for me because I ended up getting injured and I lost my mobility for a year. I had to relearn how to walk. Like I had a massive surgery in my knee and I had to basically learn how to walk again. And in that one year, when I was bedridden for almost eight months, it was one of the worst times for my mental health because everything that I had avoided, everything that I used a physical outlet to get out of my system, it all built up and it came back crashing. And Mm -hmm. that's when I really realized that you need more than one coping, mechanism. You cannot be heavily dependent on just one because when you lose that, the spiral is terrifying. And that's exactly what happened with me.
1: And- That's really wise advice, I think.
2: (laughs) Um, Losing my mobility was one of the hardest things ever because I am the kind of person that needs to be busy. And it's almost a trauma response from everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, that I need to stay busy to keep my mind occupied. So even in law school, I'm I'm part of like 15 different clubs and I'm in a lot of activities. I conduct a lot of things. So when I was like post to a standstill, even a couple of years earlier, I had a ligament tear in my ankle. They had a cast put on. And I, that even that didn't stop me from moving. I broke plaster of Paris because
0: I was moving so much, even with the cast. Right. Well, I think a, a loss of mobility can can lead to, you know, really negative mental health ramifications without oh, anyways, all the other, yeah. other things, right? And so if that was like your main um, vehicle for, for coping with everything, then I mean, it feels like just a given. Um, did, that, did the loss of mobility come as a result of the combat sports or was it something completely separate? Like, no, did your that's, coping that's lead the, to it? Thing. No. <laughs> Cause um, can you, I mean, because they could, right?
2: <laughs> it, it's it's a funny uh, thing that we talk about even now. I was in combat sports for almost two to three years and I did not sustain an injury at all um, to that magnitude. Like I've had bruises and things like that, but I actually, uh, that injury was during a badminton tournament for my university. And that, I played backminton for almost six, seven years, um, like at a, at a competitive level, but never had any injury but seven years down the line (laughs) I lost the knee snapped, and it's still such a funny thing like not a funny thing just a weird thing for me to think about like combat sports for three years nothing no injuries badminton Badminton. (laughs) that's what happened (laughs) but after I but I, I I did it again I did I learned how to walk again and I it's just I am so grateful to modern medicine for that and the doctors that helped me out. But after the whole like thing happened and there were a lot of other incidents that kind of started like a whole new journey for me. I think it was kind of, it's, it's, it's very weird to say it but maybe almost poetic, but almost like a rebirth. Um, I had a chance to go to Mumbai last year in 2020 for like an internship. And um, I have a very deep connection with water which sucks because I live in a landlocked city, but Mumbai is a coastal city. And uh, I got lucky that one of their most famous beaches was a five-minute walk from my office. So day one, we finished our internship. We clocked out around 8.30, a friend of mine, and, I, and we're like, let's just go. So we walked down to the beach, and I spent about an hour with my feet in the water just looking at the moon. And there was something so uh, magical and spiritual about that space. I just felt very connected and at peace and even over all my years of whether i believed in my faith and my religion or not or whatever it is i had never felt a piece like that that kind of started a lot of things for me and then last year i started my matters um i finally came to a head i wanted to do something in this space where i really want to talk about mental health and i but i had never been in a headspace to follow through until last year and i started with my matters and my idea was to break it down into three things. One was, I, the ultimate goal was to talk about how it's okay to get help and to sort of tackle the accessibility of health. Um, but, and the whole stigma around it, I wanted it smashed because that stigma is the main reason why my journey was so painful and it was so difficult Absolutely. to deal with. Yeah. So what I did with Mind Matters was like, I just thought to myself, if I could break down the stigma in one swing, it would be awesome. It would be awesome if we could just get rid of it in one go. But unfortunately, we couldn't. So I had to take a step-by-step approach. So step one was just me telling a little bit about my story. And step two was to bring people to talk about their stories as well. And that's how perspectives came in. So I was, I've was i been so lucky to have conversations with people from across the world where they talked so openly about their space, their journeys on mm-hmm. that space. And I've also learned so much. I have built a community through that whole project that now um, I'm so grateful to be able to lean on even now. And after I had that idea of like getting the conversation out, a lot of people reached out saying that I want to get help, but I don't know where I want to get help, but I don't know what to expect. And I had the same questions when I wanted to get help as well. So. That's kind of how the idea for a step towards health came into existence. So I started reaching out to therapists from across the world saying that would you be open to having a conversation where we just talk about what therapy is, the misconceptions of it, how to get help, and what to expect. And at that point in time, we also wanted to somehow tackle a little bit about people's questions. So people sent in questions. Um, We had a form open for months, and we had almost 200 questions sent in. Uh, and people wanted answers things that they wanted to ask therapists either they didn't have the resources to access to or they just weren't feeling comfortable enough. So we did that on the podcast so a step towards help uh, I've worked with almost 20 to 40 therapists um, every single one has psychoanalyzing up until now uh, <laughs> I don't even I've been called out for every aspect of my <laughs> existence in this whole process. <laughs> but- worth it. Uh, but yeah, so after a step towards health started coming out, I had an idea of what I wanted to do next. But that was something that I needed uh, funding for. And I'm a, I'm a 23-year-old college student somehow trying to get through law school. So I couldn't, I didn't have the funds to go ahead with the next phase of my project. So I just figured that I would take a pause and see exactly how I would do it. Um, I always knew that when I started working as well, a percentage of my funds would always move into this project. That was something I'd already accepted. Um, As corny as it sounds, I've always been the kind of person that wants to help people. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's why even my decision in uh, to pursue law was to pursue human rights law. Um, And I worked with a nonprofit because rights to make sure that people get their rights is something I'm very passionate about. And Mm -hmm. somehow. Even Mind Matters is coming on that whole, on that path as well, and I'm very lucky. Uh, so la- this year, back in September, I man- I actually got, I was awarded a grant by an organization called Utopia. Um, they are a network of youth change makers, and they thought that the change that I'm making is sustainable change that needed more support. And uh, I was really lucky that they awarded me this grant. And that grant is now opened up uh, the next phase of our project, it's funding our project, which is the Wellness Support Program. So the Wellness Support Program are these um, 12, week, 12 session programs where um, we're hoping to equip people with uh, tools to help cope with their mental health, which includes group therapy sessions, movement sessions, breath work, um, workshops to understand what uh, these different concepts are, and also community building. I've seen a lot of these community-based programs work, but I've also seen that the accessibility of it is a reason a lot of people don't take it because it's not a very cheap concept as well. It's quite expensive. And when you factor in the currency exchange rate, for some people, it's nearly an impossibility. So I wanted to create a program like that. And with the funds that we have now, we've actually begun this phase of our project where you can take part in these community building programs completely free of cost. So this program is now live on Mind Matters. It's called Wellness Support Program. Um, And it's available to anyone and everyone
1: who wants it completely free of cost.
0: That's amazing.
1: I am so inspired by you right now. I'm just like listening to you talk. I was like, Jen and I need to talk later. (laughs) Like,
0: it's amazing. And you're 23. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, that's inspiring. That's, um, that's truly like,
1: I hope hope you realize
0: what, like, what an amazing feat that is. You know, we, we've talked a lot here with different people about the importance in finding meaning in, um, or making meaning in, in your trauma and grief and all of that. And you have like, like taken that to, I think, a step beyond what I think anybody really thinks they can do, you know? um and you know i i have said many times that i don't believe in silver linings in any way like there's no way you can make any trauma that's happened to you okay but you have found a way to move forward and and turn it into something that really helps people and that's really amazing
1: thank you i really appreciate you saying that i think you know like a lot of us our stories have so many it's they're multi-layered right like you have this kind of piece with your your brother passing away and all of that and then as well like losing your mobility and really losing your coping mechanisms and having to kind of rebuild again and I it was very poetic that you kind of described that as like your rebirth um I also think you made a really important part just an important point about you know finding multiple coping mechanisms because I do think you're you know you are not the only person who found one coping mechanism and went all in Mm
2: -hmm.
1: like I think that's very common when people are struggling that if they find one thing that makes them feel better that they, they pour all of their energy it, yeah. into that. And you're right. Then something like a pandemic happens and you can't go to the gym, for example, or you're injured or whatever, something happens and you aren't able to access your one coping mechanism. Yeah. And now we are in trouble. So we, I think it, well, it is important when we're talking about mental health, that we like start building like a toolbox where we have multiple ways oh yeah, absolutely. that we well, can learn to The fact cope. of the
0: matter is, is that like what works now might not work a year from now, regardless of, of access to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, like totally. it could be something as simple as like, you know, having children, and not being able to leave your house as much as you could before or not being able to be on your own and, and you know, having to figure out um, a, a different way to kind of cope with yeah. what you're dealing with. And, and it, it also like just it has me think of um, just like therapy in general, like people assume because you're in therapy, like you're good, you're covered. And it's like there's so much that, that that's not going to fix you. Therapy alone is oh, not going to fix you. It, it helps guide you there and whatever but it's like it's not gonna make your day-to-day okay all the time
2: that, that's that's right. kind of what the uh, idea behind the wellness support program was was as well that i did not just go all in on just having group therapy sessions and just therapy sessions yeah. we mm-hmm. wanted to build like give options of different things so the program we've curated we've tried our best to sort of like understand different uh, perspectives to it like so There's uh, the session of the movement, it's called Understanding Our Body. So uh, the first program is specifically um, targeting anxiety and stress because of what the current situation of the world is. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, especially with COVID, I think everyone's (laughs) anxiety has been off the charts. So we're really focusing on that. And this particular uh, yoga instructor, um, Yamini, she's a dear friend of mine as well. She has a very specific uh, practice that shows how the body and the mind is so connected and what kind of practice will help calm the body when you're in that kind of space and calm the mind with that kind of movement so we have those kind of sessions we uh, breath work and meditation is something I've picked up over the past year and again that was broadly difficult for me to sort of um, incorporate into my routine because in P- like I'm, I'm sure you'd understand like in, with PTSD you don't really want to stay still. And you don't want to go alone with your thoughts because I get stuck in my, when I get stuck in that replay, I get stuck in that, uh, my episodes are not fun, they're never fun. And like the kind of, uh, the breaking out of that episode, it's it's an entire process on its own. It's just not a, a very uh, safe space for me to be in. And so I never used to get into meditation because it was too difficult. But through this project, I met a friend who is a breathwork facilitator um, conducts meditation workshops herself and she got on call with me and used to do it with me every day and we did that as a practice for a while and it I eventually got it into my routine and I think uh, another coping mechanism that i really love to lean on is community as a whole like I just think community itself can be a coping mechanism because I have definitely found a community through my matters and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird uh, full circle moment because I try to create what I never had, and somehow I found it myself. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
0: I, I love I love how you focus on all different moda- modalities and 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 because different things work for different people and it's easy, like how kind of how you wrote off meditation for yourself, um, but then came around to it through, you know, a friend or through exposure and and. Um, it's kind of like how everyone's like, you know, when you're stressed, oh, do yoga. I can't tell you, like, I I love to practice yoga, but so many people I know don't. And we actually had someone on the show who was like going to yoga and faking it, and was like acting like it was helping her, but inside it was like that was stupid. And and but yeah. because she didn't say anything, and like we actually went to the same class. I'm like, you, we're going to the worst class, by the way, for what you needed. Like that was not where you should have been going for yoga, (laughs) you know, but by having those conversations and exposing people to stuff instead of in a way of just like a throwaway, like, Oh, go to yoga. Um, You know, like actually giving people the space to learn um, how it can help instead of, you know, this like new agey, hippie, dippy thing that people just say, like, do yoga, do meditate, you know, like it's, it's so much more than that. And you're giving people, the access to kind of figure it out, and again, that it's at no cost to them, because that's a huge thing too. It's like I don't, I don't have the money to pay some meditation teacher when I don't think I want to do it anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I I personally dealt with the whole accessibility of, and affordability of it. Like, mm-hmm. even though I, I'm 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 okay, like I I can manage myself, but as a college student, putting every spare do- amount money that I had into it was quite and sort of it was a lot of getting used to right.
0: because there were a lot yeah. of
2: events to sort of cut back on
0: yeah absolutely like I think accessibility is huge
2: and all this was because I couldn't ask my parents like the funds was only because I couldn't ask
0: well when you mix the idea that it's hard to access financially with the fact that you're not comfortable speaking about it and like, let's make no mistake. Like, it sounds like it. there might be more of a stigma, like culturally where you are than there is here, but it's still not, you know, widely accepted. You know, I'm dealing personally with deep traumatic grief and people are as comfor- uncomfortable as fuck dealing with that. They don't know oh, what yeah, to do. Sure. They don't know what to do with me. Um,
1: I think there's also this element that, we probably do see here, I think, culturally, um, like there is a lot of stigma around it, but also I think it's very hard for young people to feel comfortable talking to their parents or telling their parents mm-hmm. that they want therapy, um, which, you know, your, your brother was 16 when you, when he, di- sorry, you were 16 when your brother died and yeah, he was living under your parents' roof. And a lot of teenagers don't want to talk to their parents about these issues and don't have the means also to just pay for it on their own.
0: Well, when you're 16, your parents don't understand anything. Let's be real. Yeah. They don't. Even if they do. Even if they (laughs) do. They do, do, but you don't think they do. (laughs) Right. Even even if they do, they don't in your mind. (laughs) Right. At least not for me, it was that's how it was.
1: (laughs) And so I do think like the age and those child-parent dynamics also is probably playing into that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and quite honestly, in my situation specific, I wasn't really that close to my parents regardless. Right. Like I was so much closer to Sanjay and he was almost like a parental figure for me. Um, yeah. So that dynamic yeah. in itself also made it so much more complicated.
1: Yes, because you you lost a sibling, but really you lost a parent.
0: You lost that one person you can find. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's not always going to be a parent. We're, like, regardless yeah. of the situation, it's not always going to be a, a parent, right? Like your
1: biological
2: parent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another really interesting thing about grief that I've also come to sort of understand over my journey is like this misconception about it. About how it's a linear journey. I don't know if uh, either of y'all have ever sort of had experience with it, because I know for a while, for a while I did as well. Because um, I was under this impression, like there is the concept, like, like stages of grief. Oh, like man. okay, you mm-hmm. go through this stage, mm-hmm. you go through this, and then uh, like it was always sort of portrayed in this way to me, like okay, once you're done with this stage, you're never going back. Okay, you've reached acceptance. Okay, you are all right with everything that's happened. But I've had that. I've had my accepted stage, but then I have also been in denial since then also. And I think just the idea of the fact that it is, it is anything but a linear journey, was accepting that was a much more bigger step towards my probably coping journey as opposed to just accepting his death, if mm-hmm. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a journey that doesn't end. Your grief is with you for the rest of your life. And until somebody has lived through that or with that or had to carry that, they don't understand that. And because the overwhelming um, theory or image or whatever that we're provided with is the stages of grief and stages are linear. Stages have Mm -hmm. a beginning and an end. And there is nothing about grief that has that except for the beginning. I think we actually we spoke with some, uh, with a pair of women. Um, uh, they're they're uh, based here in Canada, and they're called Being Here Human, and they do grief literacy work. And um, I think you would really dig their um, their program and what they do.
1: Yeah, um, you should check out their website. Okay, I. Will. But I just going back to like that whole linear thing. I think it's not just with grief. It's it's from with any type of I think healing, maybe even physical, but like certainly with mental health, if you're trying to overcome anxiety, you're trying to overcome depress- depression or trauma or whatever, we definitely have this idea that it gets better every single day. And then people, you know, maybe will have some days where they feel good and then not feel good. And I think that can be really hard because we have this perception that like healing is linear. And then when people have these hard days, they think something's wrong with them specifically because like, oh, what happened? Like I was healing and now I'm not, something must be wrong with me when in fact that is just part of the process. Like when you're grieving, you might have days where you feel good and then not feel good.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've had days where I've actually thought that I've done the whole grief journey wrong. Like I've done the whole process <laughs> right. wrong. Right, like somehow like you could as make As though there was a right or wrong yeah. process to it. Yeah, somehow I have grieved the person wrong because that's why I'm, I keep going back to stages that I've completed. And because my understanding has always been like stages of grief means that, okay, if you get through this, you're not going right. back to that. Get through this, you're not going back to that. So, but when I went back to it, like I honestly, I think that was also a point where I spiraled like, okay, I, I did it
1: wrong. I think that you know your perspectives podcast and our podcast, and we've we've met other people who have similar podcasts where people are just sharing their story and trying to break down that stigma. And I think there's there's room for all of us to be doing that. And I think the more of us that are doing that, the better, because it is like people people aren't talking about this stuff, and people feel alone, and um, they don't know that other people are having similar struggles or that it's okay to seek help. And the more of us who are out there just kind of doing that work and trying to spread the word, I think the better, right? I mean, that's the storytelling
2: perspective. Like the storytelling approach is so powerful because of that. Because I've always noticed that when we share our stories, like whoever shares their stories, when people hear them, even if you don't relate to the entire experience or you don't um, have the same kind of journey with the entirety of the story, even if you can relate to a bit of it, like a small percentage of it, it validates their experiences and their feelings. Yes. And, and they, make, they feel less alone. And that can be life-saving is what I've seen.
1: Yes, absolutely. yes I absolutely agree. So that's why, that's why we're doing this, right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> why we're all doing
0: it, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think everybody that we've met who's doing something similar has come to this from making meaning from their own experiences which really is it is part of the process is learning to kind of whatever that might look like for you not everybody has to become like an advocate or whatever or do anything grandiose but finding a way to make meaning in their own way I think is really helpful for people who have experienced grief or trauma
0: absolutely so 100 uh, percent.
1: Right? yeah so that's what we got to do mm-hmm.
0: um so how can people find you like find Mind matters is, is everything like on a website somewhere because
2: uh, yeah actually uh this this year uh, on uh back in september um on my birthday actually we, we went live with our new website and uh, it's called uh mindmattersinitiative.com um my favorite part of that website is the about the team page because i made the decision to name the team behind mind matters as me and my brother because there is no way this project would exist had it not been for him and this this project has done a lot for me and it's it's becoming something for people as well but i think something that's very special about it is it's almost like an homage to him and an extension of him so as long as I can keep my matters alive I feel like I'm almost keeping a part of him as well and uh if people went to that part of the website um you'd actually be a, you'd get a chance to meet my brother so what I did was I wanted people to know who he was but from his community and not just me so I reached out to a lot of his friends and his friends sent in videos talking Aww. about him and we have like there's like a video montage um, of some pictures and, and things that he used to do, people talking about him. And my brother was a musician. I actually used one of his tracks that I still have on the video montage just because I wanted to share a little bit Yay! about That's, him. So That's awesome. That's really, it's really amazing. beautiful. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I love that. Thank um, you.
2: But yeah, so you can find the website as mindmattersinitiative.com. Um, and on Instagram, it's mind matters underscore the podcast and
1: sneha.ks Amazing. Thank you so That's much. So great.
0: Thank you so we'll, much we'll
1: we'll put all of that, like we'll we'll add it into the show notes so anybody who wants to look it up can find that. And we'll make sure that we're tagging you and whatever when we release awesome. your episode so people yeah, can absolutely find Thank you that you. way too. Thank
0: you so much for for taking the time to chat with us. And and I know it was a lot of work to uh, overcome time differences, but I'm really glad that we did.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, thank, thank you for giving me Thank you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like
0: you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.